Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Welcome you for Phoenixville. If you're joining us from one of our four campuses or online, we are glad that you are with us today. Uh, we get to start a new sermon series. And so uh, somebody actually, I guess my wife talked to somebody who's new to church and they said, uh, are you, they very, very uh, innocently, they said, are you going to talk about kids every week? And uh, no, we're done. And so uh, if, you, if you don't have kids and you were tired of talking about parenting, uh, stock that away somewhere. You'll need that someday. Trust me. Uh, but today we get to start our Christmas series. And I say get to uh, because sometimes, I'll be honest, I'm not excited to preach during Christmas because there's only a certain amount of topics you can use, uh, and you're, you're kind of you're pigeonholed. And so, uh, but I wanna, what I want to do is I want to share some kind of details of the Christmas story that maybe you didn't get from growing up, whether you've been in church or you haven't been in church, that you didn't get from, you know, Sunday school class, your grandma's nativity scene, you know, movie or whatever. I want to dig into some, some other characters. So we entitled this message series, Scandals, Scoundrels, and, and Saviors. And it'll make sense. Some of you go, I don't get that. Why don't you just call it like, you know, uh, a way in a manger, like a way in the manger or like a uh, joy to the world around us or something like that or follow a lot, a lot of Christmas, something like that, like just of Jesus, like just call it something Christmassy. I promise you on Christmas Eve, we're going to give you more Christmas than you want. And what I mean by that, we're going to sing a ridiculous amount of Christmas carols. Uh, we're going to have hot cocoa. We're going to have a ridiculous amount of homemade cookies there that day. We're going to do candlelight. The message is going to be straight Christmas. Uh, we're going to have some other elements that is going to be straight. You invite somebody, we're going to give them a traditional Christmas Eve experience. But for the next four weeks, uh, I want to talk to you just about some characters, some, some, some people in the Christmas story that maybe you don't know about. So what I want to do, I want to jump right into Luke chapter 1 today and introduce you to a man named Zachariah. Zachariah was not in your grandma's nativity scene, in your parents' nativity scene. And if you haven't grown up in church, maybe you've never heard about him. So let me explain to you kind of how he's connected to the whole Christmas story. Zachariah, his, wife name, his wife's name is Elizabeth. Elizabeth and him are about to, we're going to step into the story. They're about to have a child named John the Baptist. If you read through the Gospels, you're going to see that John the Baptist is a pretty significant uh, person. Here's the connection, though. Uh, Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, they're cousins. And so uh, they become pregnant at a similar time. Uh, and their, their stories are kind of inter, intermixed for the rest of, of, of the story of Jesus until John the Baptist is beheaded. That's another, 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 another sermon for you. And so some of you, I just spoiled that whole moment for you. That's how his life ended. But he was put on this earth to do something significant. And so I want to take you into his story today because I think the story of Zechariah some of you in this room are going to get something out of this. And, and he, here's what I mean. Some of you are, have prayed for something, believed for something, and asked God for something, and it's never come to pass. And you are wondering to yourself, do, do my prayers matter? Does God listen? Does he care about me? Is God real? And what I want to show you is you can relate a lot to the story of Zacharias. See, not every story in the Bible has people that are perfect. In fact, the only story that has somebody that's perfect, his name is Jesus. The rest of the characters in the scripture, if you do some digging, they're a lot like me and you. So I want to show you this story today in the book of Luke chapter 1, verse number 5. We'll pick it up. Uh, in the time of Herod, we're going to talk about him in a few weeks, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So they're both descendants of priests. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But verse 7 says this, very key. 
but they were childless uh, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and now they were both very old. So let me just kind of explain this to you before we get going in this, in this story. The Bible says they were blameless in the sight of God. doesn't mean they were perfect. It means their heart's desire was to please the Lord. And so in everything they did, they, they wanted to be, to want to be pleasing to him. So for some of us, we're going, okay, why, if they're pleasing to the Lord, if they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing, why wouldn't God give them a baby? Because now they're past the age of having a baby. We don't know how old they are, but some commentaries I read so say they're probably 30 or 40 years into their marriage now. So they prayed, they got married, they had this big, you know, wedding or whatever. They had these goals. We're going to have three kids, a picket fence. We're going to have a two-car garage, a dog, you know, cat maybe, if you want to get wild, like something like that. We're going to have this set up, and now they're 40, 30, 40 years into their marriage. They're older. They're still serving the Lord, and they don't have a child. And here's, here's the kicker. In that time frame, in that culture, in that context, everybody would assume that God was punishing them. Like God was against them. Even though they were doing everything for God, they were serving God, they were in the temple, God didn't give them a baby. That was a clear sign that God was punishing them for something. That, so they would have spent their entire life trying to figure out what they were doing wrong because God was not giving them a baby. You ever been there? God, it's not working out the way I want, want it to work out. I've prayed, I've asked, I've sought, I, I positioned myself. I've been looking for a husband in church for the last six months. You told me to go. I've been sitting in row number three, seat two over, and I've been looking to the right and expecting you to bring, and it hasn't happened. And I've done everything. I've been there like twice a month for six months, God. We started tithing. We started giving, right? I expected all this money to flow down from heaven. Stuff's breaking in my house as I'm tithing. Stuff's not working. I want to have a kid, God, and I've asked you for a kid. And there's people all over the world having kids. They don't even want kids, and I can't get one kid. You gave Susie three. She didn't want any, right? Every time I see her, she complains about it. I just want one kid. We've all, we've all been here. We've all, we've all been in moments like this. Watch what the story says in verse number eight. So once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and to burn incense. When the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then, verse number 11, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he, like all of us, he was, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call him John. Do not, do not be afraid. The prayers, you think he was still praying for this at this point, by the way? He's He's old. He's saying, the prayer that you prayed years ago, I was listening to, and it's about to be, it's about to be answered. We're going to get to the other verses where it ex explains John here in a second. I want to skip down to verse number 18. And the Bible says this, Zechariah asked the age, angel, and we've been here before, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. I want you to take note of this because he's a smart husband. He says, I'm an old man, but my wife is well along in years. You see what he doesn't say? And my wife's old. Because good husbands, you never say your wife is old. You never say she's fat. You always say she's what? You're perfect. Looks great. Get whatever. That's amazing. You're the most beautiful woman in the world. You don't ever call your wife old, right? She's, well, she's fine wine, right? She's getting better with time. I'm old. I'm wrinkled. I'm gray. You know, my best years are behind me. But look at Elizabeth. She's amazing, right? And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you the good news. So, so what's, what's, what, what, how can I be sure of this? And what, why is he saying this, by the way? Here's what's so interesting. Uh, there had been a 400-year uh, silence from, from God to man. So they, they were practicing this religion, 
He had never heard the voice of God, never heard of anybody hearing the voice of God, never heard of anybody seeing an angel. He's been practicing this religion, making these sacrifices, burning this incense, you know, worshiping, praying to this God that he had never seen. 400 years have passed in his country's history, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, you're about to have a baby at the ripe old age of whatever, over the hill, you know what I'm saying? And he's having a hard time dealing with it. I think he's even thought to himself, do these prayers even matter? Like, I pray, and I ask God to do things. Is this God even, even real? You ever been there where it's like, well, how, you know, I'm asking for this. How can I be sure God would even do this? Like, I'll give you an example of my life. My kids, because we've all heard no so much, maybe in a time frame from God where we prayed for something so long that we begin to just wonder if it's ever going to happen. And my kids, they wanted a dog for, for a little bit, especially my, my youngest one, Harrison. And I don't know what happened to me, uh, because up to a few years ago, and even this last year, I'm like, I don't want a dog. They're too much work. They stink, all this stuff. But my, my, my youngest really wanted them, and my oldest, they kind of talked with one, but I had, I had killed that desire in them when we were over the previous 10 years of their life. And my younger one, in fact, somebody, uh, one of his teachers at Journey Kids, I don't know what campus he was at, but he told them he wanted a dog. And they said, oh, your dad's never going to get you a dog. And he told them he wanted, he said, well, here's what you do. Just keep praying for it, and God will change your, your, your dad's evil heart, even hardened heart. <laughs> and so I don't know how I found that out, but I was like, well, now I gotta, I, I'm kind of you know, backed into a corner because I want to teach him that prayer works. And so all these things, what an opportunity. And so I started telling them over the last month, and I don't know if it was the parenting series and you're not want, wanting to be the dad that someday the boys get older and said, you never let us have, have a dog like everybody else's parents, and you ruined our childhood because you didn't let us try to get a dog. And so I don't know if that was what it was or I was just feeling like, you know, like, and so I got, I was like, I'm going to get a dog. And my wife's like, we're going to get a what? And I'm like, we're going to get a dog. And I started doing research and I got online and I was looking at golden doodles and I was like, it's, you know, doesn't shed, you know, kind of manly, all American, golden retrievers, all American dog. Poodle, I don't know what the heck they are, but you know, it doesn't look like a poodle, and so like all these things, and and so I, I was like, this is a good dog. I met a couple people who had you know golden doodles, double doodles, and stuff like that, and uh, I was like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get one of these, and we started doing research, and my kids would come in, they would see us looking at these puppies, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm thinking we're gonna get a dog. They're like, we're not gonna get a dog. You're n- you're never gonna get us a dog, and I'm like, no, no, I think we're gonna we're gonna get a dog. In fact, even up to the day when like the day before we were gonna get one, they would tell me, you're not gonna get us a dog. And I'm like, no, I'm going to get, this is how we are with God. I'm going I'm to give you a baby. You're not going to give me a baby. You're not. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this in your life. I'm, I'm, I might, it might take some time, but I'm going to do this. No, you're never going to do this. So I'm telling my kids I'm going to give them a dog. They went to school. We drove to Lancaster to this, this groomer, picked up the dog, brought him home. And even though they thought that I was, they thought I wasn't going to get him a dog, and then they had questions about it, when they walked in, it was almost still like, this isn't real. Like this, like Carter walked in, I'm like, I'm like, you meet your new big brother, right? And all this stuff. And you just start being ridiculous with dogs. Like all this stuff. And like, I give him this little, this little puppy and he holds it. And it's almost surreal. And then Lincoln and Harrison come home and they've heard no so long. Harrison's heard no. He's, you know, I'm going to get a dog for Christmas. I'm like, you're not getting a dog for Christmas, right? And then he walks in and it was almost this disbelief. Like it was like, this is, this is, you're going to take this back. And there's been a couple times I've been tempted that we had a little issue on Thanksgiving. I'm like, dog's going back tomorrow. <laughs> so I saw the utter heartbreak on my kid's face. I'm like, I'm stuck with this thing. How long do Golden Doodles live, right? <laughs> we got about 15 years. And we do this with God at all of our campuses where he's like, I'm going to do this for you. You're like, no, you're not. In fact, I know, I know they're struggling with this because the Bible says if you read in verse number 23, a little bit down, the Bible says that they become pregnant. When his time of service was completed, he returned home and his wife gets pregnant. And what? For five months, what does she do? She hides in seclusion. She kind of feels pregnant, doesn't know if it's just a rumbling in her belly, 
starts having pregnant, you know, urges. Give me, some, give me that peanut butter, whatever pregnant women want, ice cream, all this stuff. She's feeling different. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't want to show her face just in case when she comes out, she loses the baby and she asks everybody she lost the baby. She doesn't want to tell people God told us we're going to have a baby and it not really be a baby. It just be, you know, the holiday season for her or something like that. And so she hides out because she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to be disappointed. And really, this is the struggle in this story. There's this thing God wants to do in their life, and they're having a hard time trusting him. And we can all understand it because they don't want to be disappointed again. They don't want to ask God for something and it not happen another time. And and I get it because we're all there. And what I want to do is I want to move you through your disappointment because if you're a Christian and you follow God, not everything is going to go according to how you want it to go. If you think that, if you think if I follow God and my life just gets better, you should never read the scriptures. Your life has more purpose, you'll have more joy, and you'll have peace that surpasses all understanding. But you will face trials, you will face suffering. The Bible says to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind because they're developing perseverance in you. And perseverance is what you need to have mature faith. So you're going to face some difficult moments in your life and disappointments in your life. And I want to kind of help you move through those as we kind of follow along in this journey with Zechariah. First one is this, how to, things to remember if you're disappointed. Number one, don't be what I would call dismayed or stressed out in your disappointment. And some of you say that's easier said than done. I get it. Some of you have asked for something, expecting something, wanting something, and now it hasn't happened and you're stressed out, you're full of anxiety, you're wondering if it's ever going to happen. Am I ever going to have that child? Am I ever going to get that baby? Is that job opportunity ever going to happen? Am I ever going to get into the school that I'm supposed to go? And God, are you ever going to open the door that you say you're going to o- open up? And, and the thing is, sometimes we just think, I ask for God, he gives it to me. When he doesn't give it to me, he's against me. When I ask God for something, he doesn't do it. When he doesn't do it, he must be against me. And here's what I need you to understand. And I've, I've shared this many times. Uh, as a follower of Christ, now approaching 40 years old, it's something I remind myself often. Because something that I have found is disappointment is a constant part of my life. It's just this. You're disappointed in people. You're disappointed in outcomes. You're disappointed in events you plan. You're disappointed in, in dogs that you get. You're disappointed in stuff. Like you just, you, you, you expect something, it doesn't happen. Disappointment is a part of life on this side of eternity. And here's what you need to know. Sometimes God's will is going to disappoint your desires, but it will never disappoint his destiny for your life. Sometimes God is going to disappoint your desires. And so here's what I want you to understand. From time to time in your life, you need to give God permission to not meet your expectations. Sounds weird, doesn't it? You need to give him permission to not meet your expectations so that eventually he has the opportunity to exceed them. Let me tell you that again. Some of you, you have a hard time right now. You're disappointed. You say, God, you didn't meet what I wanted you to meet. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. You didn't show up the way I wanted you to show up. Maybe he didn't meet your expectations because your expectations were too small. Maybe they were too little. Maybe that person you thought you wanted to marry actually long-term was going to ruin your life. Maybe that career that you thought you wanted to get, that, 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 that thing, that, that test that you then failed because you weren't good enough, so to speak. Maybe God has a different plan for your life. Maybe he has a better opportunity. Maybe he has a bigger door for you to, for you to go through. Maybe he wants to do something uh, different through your life. Sometimes you need to give God the opportunity to not meet your expectations so he can exceed them. Let me show you in the story. Because Zachariah prayed for a baby. What kind of baby was he praying for? I mean, I bet, I bet as it went, it was like, I'll just take anything. 
At first, it's like, you know, can you give me a baby, make them smart, make them healthy, give them, give them blonde hair, blue eyes, let them look like their mother, right? Like, give them this DNA genetic, make them, give them this brain, let them be good, let them be a phenomenal priest. By the time, you know, 10 years later, I think he was like, just give me a baby, any kind of baby. I don't, if they're healthy, I just, that's what I'll take. And he continues to lower the expectations of his prayer. And so then, watch what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse number 14. The, the angel comes and says, you're going to be a daddy to, to a baby. And watch what it says about the baby. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, I want to I talk to you about that real fast. Because your family and you are really excited about your baby, and that's normal. But a lot of other people don't rejoice because of the birth of your baby. It's just not the way the world works. You, we think they do, Right? We make a big deal about our baby. He's three months old. You put that thing on him. He's three months old. His head is 98 circumference. He's in the 50th percentile of weight because he's going to be built like me. You know, the 100 percentile of height. Uh, he says this. He does this. Six months. Rolls over. Unlike your kid. Does all these things. We're making a big deal. Everything they do is a big deal because they're ours. But oftentimes the world is not rejoicing because of your kid because they have their own kids. But this says you're going to have a baby. Going to be a big time for you. Not only a big time for you, going to be a big time for the world. He's going to be great, the Bible says, in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. That is a promise. That was very rare at the time. This baby is going to have the Holy Spirit inside him. He'll bring back many to the, of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. He, that's a big deal. That would be like God coming to you and say, your son is the next LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, that, we, we, Elijah was a big deal to them. He was the most powerful prophet. The dude did some wild things. We're going to talk about him at, at some point in this message. He, he did some wild things. And so when he says, your boy is going to be like Elijah, this is, a, this is blowing his mind right here. What he wanted is a healthy baby. He's about to get a child that's going to change the world. He's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for the Lord. In other words, he is really important to this whole plan that's going to change this world. You see, you just wanted a baby. I'm about to give you somebody who's really significant. And I think sometimes in your life you need to step back and you need to be okay with God not meeting your expectations with the understanding that he'll be able to exceed them. Let me give you a classic example from my life. There was a time in my life when I moved here in 2005 uh, that I wanted a house. I wanted a house. I wanted a house. We just wanted a house. And it was ridiculously expensive at that time. And the only place we could afford was in Potsdown. And there's nothing against Potsdown. I grew up in Potsdown. I had some of my best friends were in Potsdown. We just wanted a house. And we were living kind of on the outskirts of Boardtown. Wanted a house. Couldn't find a house. Every time we found a house, it, was, it would be like somebody would overbid us or, you know, we wouldn't get it or it wouldn't work out or something like that. And I remember in my early years of being here, I'm like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous, you know, because you always say that about yourself. And God, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm, I'm here in Pennsylvania. I'm starting a church. God, I'm trying to serve you. My wife's having a hard time in Pennsylvania. This is a culture change. God, just give me a house. Just let me get one measly Cape Cod. I don't even care if it has... I didn't know Central Air wasn't a thing until I moved to Pennsylvania. Let me get some Central Air. I'll even take wood paneling. I'll take wood paneling on the wall. God, I'll take some shag carpet just. You ever do that with God? You just start bargaining down. 
And it was always no, no, no. Every time it would be no, no, no. Three years passed, still didn't have a house. Ended up getting a church building given to us in Limerick. Weren't really understanding all these things God was going to do in our life because we were living in 2005 and six. And then God begins to kind of make this, 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 this plan happen in our church, open up doors that we shouldn't have had open up to us, begins to do things. We have the opportunity to move towards Phoenixville, which is a place that we always kind of wanted to, to live. I know our dreams were kind of small, and so we wanted to live in Phoenixville when we moved here. We ended up being able to find a brand new townhouse in Phoenixville. We ended up spending the first decade of our, of our, of our life here with our kids, like raising our kids in this townhouse and built these relationships with some neighbors that are still going today. And all these things happen, but they all happen at the point where God had to disappoint my expectations in that moment so later on he could exceed them. Because if he wouldn't have disappointed me, he said, here's your house, your Cape Cod with the shag carpet and the non-central, non-essential air and the, and the wood paneling and the, and, the, and the kitchen that hadn't been updated since 1933, right? And all of a sudden, in 2008, the economy crashed. You remember that whole thing? There were movies about it and stuff like that? And houses that were worth $200,000 and people were paying ridiculous amounts of money are now worth $130,000 and our church is moving to, to Limerick and we want to move to Phoenixville and worth $70,000 in the, in, the, in the red and we can't sell our house and we're stuck there. And not that that would have been an awful thing if you live in Pottstown, sorry about this, but for us in that moment, God wanted to move us somewhere else and so he had to disappoint me in that moment. You need to be okay with sometimes God not meeting your expectations. So here's something that I read to myself and I've read this to you many times. Uh, but I have a, we have a lot of new people coming to church here, and so I want to make sure I read this to you all the time because I read it to myself pretty much consistently at least once a month. And it goes like this. It goes, God's will for me and for you, he doesn't say wait without a better way. He doesn't say yes unless it's his best, and he doesn't say no unless you still need to go. So if you ask God according to his will and it's not made its way to you, then there's a better way God is making, a better who God is bringing, and a better where God is taking you. And I say this to myself often. Don't be dismayed. Let me just give you two more. Don't die in your disappointments. Don't, don't die in your disappointments. Don't, don't, don't stay there. Here's the thing. He went through what I would call the five stages of grief, right? For, what's the first stage of grief? First stage of grief is denial. They get married, have the wedding, try to get pregnant. Elizabeth doesn't get pregnant, tries to get pregnant again. It's not working out. It's not working out. Deny that it's actually happened to you. It's going to happen. Deny it, deny it, deny it. This isn't a problem. We're fine. We just got to, you know, get on the, the, same, the same calendar here. You got to get an app so we know when, when you're ovulating. We got to do this, right? We go see the doctor. We do all these things. They are, they are denying, denying, denying that this is going on. Then you get to the point where you become angry with, with God and with your situation. Then after anger, you go to bargaining. Just give me a baby. Just throw me a bone, God. Then after bargaining, what do you do? You go to depression, which is being dismayed, distressed out. I'm depressed about this. And after depression, you get to the worst part for a follower of Jesus Christ. And the worst part for a follower of Jesus Christ is something I would call acceptance. You just accept that this is the way that it's going to be. You accept that God is never going to answer your prayers. You accept that God is never going to make a way. You accept that God is never going to come through. You accept that God doesn't have your best in mind. You accept that God is not listening to you. This is, this is what Zechariah did. I just don't think God is even listening to me and all of a sudden God shows up on the scene he says how can I be sure I'm an old man my wife she's you know she's aging way better than me and here's what I want to encourage you never ever ever accept in your life what God says to expect never ever ever accept in your life so some of you listen some of you are five foot nothing you're always gonna be five foot nothing you can pray to God makes you taller probably not gonna happen 
But there's other things in your life. You've prayed for a job opening. You've prayed for a spouse. You've prayed for a child. You, 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 you prayed for a healing. You've prayed for God to do what God says he can do. And it hasn't yet come yet. And you are getting to the point where you've gone through the five stages of grief because it's taken some time. And all of a sudden, you're about to accept something that the Bible says you shouldn't accept. You should expect. In other words, you should never bury a dream when you serve a God who has a tendency to raise things from the dead. You should never, the Bible says in Romans 4, he says he's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. How do you know you've died? How how do you know you've let it go? You stopped asking. You've asked so many times that you're tired of asking. And here's two things I want to encourage you to do. If you've been talking to God, seeking the miraculous, seeking his face, expecting great things for him, lining your life up with the the power of of, in the the presence and the promise of scripture, here's two things that, that you need to learn in your prayer life. One is this, is you need to be what I would call persistent. Be persistent. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep expecting. Keep seeking the face of God. Keep going back. One of my favorite stories in the book of First Kings about that prophet named Elijah. Elijah was a wild man. In fact, one time he came to Ahab, who was an evil king, and he said, it's not going to rain for seven years. No rain. And he said it, and the Bible says and it happened. And then he had this big prophet show up. I don't have time to, sh- to tell you all this, but eventually he goes against Ahab's prophets, the prophets of Baal. They pray. Fire comes down. When he prays, nothing happens when they pray because they're praying to nobody. And then he goes away to, to a place called Mount Carmel, and, and, and he says, hey, we need to pray for some rain now. It hasn't rained for seven years. It's time to believe for some rain. And the Bible says he gets on his, his hands and knees, and he begins to pray, and he has a servant. And, and he tells him, hey, go check it out. I've been praying. There should, be, there should be some rain coming. I did this last night with the snow. That's why I didn't snow. I was like, it's no snow, right? And, and, he, and, and the servant goes, and he looks, and he's like, he comes back to Elijah. He's like, there's, there's no snow, bro. <laughs> so what do you think Elijah did? Think he quit? He goes down again. He says, hey, okay, let's, 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 okay, God, serious now. He prays again. Hey, go check. I think there's some rain coming. He goes back again. No, no rain. Comes back. There, there's no rain. I don't know what you're doing wrong. You made it stop raining. You need to figure out how to turn it back on, right? And so he prays again. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time. He goes back the sixth time, and he comes back to him. There's no rain. The seventh time he comes, he prays one more time. I like that number seven. Some people call it the, the number of completion. Sends back the servant, and the Bible says the servant sees a little cloud beginning to form. And it begins to come towards the, the country, and he goes back, and he says, I see the cloud beginning to form. Could you imagine if he would have stopped at the fifth time? Some of you have stopped. You stopped at, you've, you've accepted what God says to expect. You've you stopped. You, you've moved away from a dream. You don't understand. You serve a God who can bring dead things back to life. And the other thing you should do is be expectant. Let's just be honest. How many times you pray for something, you're like, it's, it's, I don't, it's not going to happen. I'm just going to pray. Pray for somebody with cancer. When's the last time you walked by and prayed for somebody with cancer and you actually thought they were going to get healed? When's the last time you actually prayed for something and you expected it to happen? We, we all struggle with this. There's a story in the book of Acts. Uh, Peter gets thrown into prison, and, and they begin to pray for him. And what they pray is, God, bring him back. God, release him. God, open up the doors of the prison. And as they're praying, God does it. They continue to pray, and their answer to their prayer shows up. It's Peter. He knocks on the door. In my head, I imagine this big metal door with a sliding thing. It's open it up, password. You know, JC15, something like that. And they open it up, and they see Peter. They've been praying for Peter. They're not expecting Peter to show up, though. They see Peter. The lady closes it, runs back, and says, hey, there's a ghost at the door. And Peter, no, it's, it's me. And he basically tells them, you, 
You're getting the answer to your prayer, but you didn't even expect it was going to happen. Why are you even wasting your time praying? Why are you even wasting your time asking me if you don't ask me confidently? Be expectant, be persistent. And last one, this one's really important. Don't do what I would call disappointment declarations. Do you know your, 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 your words have the power to create life? Your words have the power to create life. We, 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 we said this some months ago. I said, what you, what you curse always gets worse. What you praise always prospers. What you curse, do it with your kids. You curse your kids, they don't, ever get, they don't get better. You, they get in trouble. You begin to you know, rain down correction on them, and you're yelling at them, and you're in the middle of you know, correcting every bad thought that they've ever had. It's not like they make less mistakes. It gets worse. What you praise prospers. Why? Because our words are, are powerful. And one of the parts of the story that I don't have time to read to you today that's so significant, uh, that's sometimes viewed in, in, a, in a skewed way is, so God comes to Zechariah, and he says, you're going you're gonna to have a baby. 30, 30, 40 years have passed. God heard your prayers. That's so encouraging to me, by the way, because uh, the Bible says that his ear is attentive to the prayers of the righteous. He, he, heard, he heard their prayers from years ago, didn't forget about them, and had a perfect time planned out. It was, it was already said, he listened to every prayer they prayed. He says, your, your prayers have been, have been heard. And, and Zechariah does what all of us would do. He doubts God. He's been disappointed so many times. So many times he's been to the doctor, trying to figure out what's wrong. Nothing's worked. He's asked God to do it. He hasn't done it. So he, he has his doubts. And he, I think he's going to struggle with this, even up to the point where, where she gets pregnant. And so what does God do? God says, you know what? I'm not going to let you talk until this happens. I'm going to make you silent. And I always thought that silence was, was a punishment because he didn't, he didn't believe God. But I don't think it was. I think God was protecting him. I think God said, I'm not going to let your negativity and your words ruin my plan for you. Because you're going to have a tendency to go to everyone and ask them, do you think this is going to happen? And I, I, you know, do you think I had a, a, some kind of dream in there that wasn't real? Do you, as, do you, do you think Elizabeth is, is in a state of health where she can actually carry a baby to full term? Do you think this is actually, and he's going to get confirmation from other people. And so God said, I'm just not going to let you talk. And I'm going to let you watch this whole thing happen. Can you imagine he's, he's mute because he, God said you're not going to talk and the baby starts to, to develop and he's <laughs> like, and then somebody, what happened? what happened? He can't say nothing. And I've always wondered why God did it. And I just think that God wanted to keep him from using his words to, to ruin because we do this. See, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to speak God's truth in spite of what you face. You're going to have to declare and stand on the word of God. This is why as we bring new people into this church, new believers, this is why we're going to teach you so often that one of the things you need to go to is the Bible, the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And for some of us, even that go to church, we know more about Facebook and Google and what it's supposed to do because we read every report on AccuWeather than we do about the word of God. And when we face things that are bigger than us, we typically speak to our situation based on, on what, we've, what we've experienced on this life instead of what, what the Bible says, when we walk by faith and not by sight. There's going to be times where the report that you're facing is going to have to be covered by the word that God, that God wrote. In fact, one of my favorite stories is in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah was a prophet. And uh, he would speak on God's behalf to, to different kings. And some kings were good and some kings were evil. One of the good kings, his name was Hezekiah. And one day, these, these, uh, these, these 
messengers from another kingdom show up at, at Hezekiah's uh, kingdom, his castle. And they come in and they have this report. And the report is there's a bunch of strong armies coming and they've destroyed every person, every country in their way. And you're next. You're, you're next. You're, you're, you're going to die. All of you. We're going to wipe you out. History is going to forget you. So Hezekiah has a, has a chance in, in that moment to do what a lot of us do, freak out. I'm never going to have that baby. I'm never going to meet that prom, have that promise. I'm never going to get that job. I'm never going to get married. They said this about me. I'm experiencing this. All of it lines up to me being a failure. And instead, Hezekiah comes to the only spot he can go to, which is Isaiah, because Isaiah, he spoke. He spoke the word of God. And he comes to Isaiah, and he says, listen, here's the reports from these, these, these countries. Here's how many people are coming. Here's what they've done. I am terrified. There's nothing wrong with being scared, by the way. And he gives the report to Isaiah, and Isaiah goes and speaks to God and comes back to Hezekiah, and he says, listen, here's what their report says, and here's God's report. And God's report says, you're going to be fine. God's report says, I'm going to wipe them out. You're not going to have to fight this battle. God's report says, I'm going to be made famous in this moment countries of the world are going to know the power of your God. So as this is going on one more time, uh, the, these messengers come and they say, we don't care what your God said. This is what's going to happen. And he still, has a, he still has a decision to make. He has two reports. He can choose which one to believe. And the Bible says he goes into the temple, the presence of God, and he lays down the reports beside each other. And I, I used to think he envisioned him laying down the, the negative report. I don't know if this is true or not because I went back and read it, but I, I think this is probably what happened. He lays down the negative report from the army in the presence of God, and he takes the report of the Lord, and he just lays it on top of it. And he says, here's what they say, but I'm going to cover this with what you say. And he sees God work in a miraculous, wonderful way because he chooses to believe the report of the Lord. And, and i got to tell you something. At some point in your life, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have conflicting reports in, in your in your life, conflicting reports in what you're facing, and you're going to have to choose to not do disappointment de declarations. Instead, to declare the promises and the goodnesses of God. And so I want to show you how that works in, in my life, and I want to do it a little bit with you. And I, listen, the first one's going to be warm up, and then we're going to get better at it, and we're going to build the excitement and watch God do what only he could do. But you declare over your life based on the word of God. So you don't declare stuff like, you know, when I wish I got Disney Plus, when I wish upon a star. That's, that, that's, that's, that's Disney crap. We're going, to, we're going to declare the promises of the Lord. So every promise of the Lord that you declare should be based on the scripture. So here's the first scripture. Matthew 6 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. So here's, here's what we're going to declare. We're going to read it together. You ready? First one is warm-up. Can you bring that first one up for me? You ready, ready to read this together? Some of you are like, you going to make me read in church? Yeah, I am. So we're going to warm up first one. Ready? Let's do it together. I don't worry about anything. Instead, I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I trust that all my needs will be met. Isn't that good? You worry, you have anxiety. The Bible says you don't need to. I don't worry about anything. Instead, I trust that all my needs will be met. All right, that, that was a horrible warm-up. Let's start. Let's try again. First Peter 5. Watch what he says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties because he cares for you. So what are we going to declare? You ready? I humble myself. Hold on. I humble myself before God and trust that he will promote me at the right time. 
I cast all of my worries, fears, and anxieties on him because he cares for me. Does that make you feel good? That's not a Google article. That's not some psychiatrist that figured out some new thing, right? That's the never-ending, unchanging, unbreakable, meaning every promise word of God. You declare it over every situation that you're facing. Don't do disappointment declaration. Want to do a couple more? You getting into it now? Or you want to quit? No, we're going to do it because it's in my notes. You ready? <laughs> Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Watch what he says. Do not be anxious. You see there's a theme here? Some of you have over, overwhelming feelings of ang- being anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So here's what we declare over our lives. You ready? I'm not anxious about anything. Come on. Instead, I make my request known to God through prayer and thanksgiving. And the peace of God guards my heart and my mind in ways that I can't even understand. It's building your spirit. Let's just do, let's just do two more because now it's getting fun, right? Let's read Romans 8. The Bible says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. You know what that means, by the way? I've always... Foster is is you get a child, but they pay you for it, right? So you take somebody, but they they pay you for it. When you get a baby, you don't get a choice in the matter. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit, right? When you adopt, you get to pick the one you want. So when he says that you're adopted into the family of God, this is what's so cool. It means he picked you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He could have had anybody else. He could have ran from you. He knew you were trouble. They said it in your report. And he chose you. So let's read the, let's read the declaration together. You ready? I have the Holy Spirit, and he has freed me from fear. I'm not afraid of anything because I'm protected and taken care of as a child of God. One more. The Bible says in, in, in Psalms 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's declare one more. You ready? This one needs to be good. This is the last one. Can you bring that one up for me? You have that one? You ready? My God has not given me a spirit of fear or shyness. I have power, love. Come on, y'all are getting worse. Y'all getting worse. Let's read that one one more time. Just one more time before we go. Let's stand all over our campuses real fast. Let's read it one more time together like you mean it. You've been adopted. You're loved by God. You ready to do it one more time? No. God has not given me a spirit of fear or shyness. I have power, love, and self-control. Feels like a good spot to pray. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, for it never returns void. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for those who are dealing with deep, deep, deep disappointment here today. And here's the argument that's been made in their head. The argument has been, uh, if you were good, you wouldn't have allowed them to face this. If you really had a plan, pain would not be part of it. But God, you're developing something in here. You're developing a clear understanding, a clear conscience of, of who you are, an awareness that, God, you don't just use good times, but, God, you use pain. God, you don't just use the mountain. God, you use the valley. In fact, you develop us oftentimes through destruction, through hard times. Lord, something's shifting right now. Something's shifting. Something's changing. There's a thankfulness in the air right now, a gratitude for what we face, but also an expectation for what you're going to do. But, God, because you did not bring us through this 
to not accomplish something with it. And so, Lord, you're good. And, Lord, here's what I believe is going to happen over this next week and this next month. And, Lord, just make this part of Journey Church. God, would you release the miraculous in this church? God, would you do things that only you could do and that only you can get the glory for? But that it is unexplainable to those who are yet to believe in you. And the explanation is if this happened, there has to be a God. There has to be somebody that loves us. There has to be somebody that made us. And God, you'll get the glory and you'll lead men and women to yourself through the, uh, the, 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 the miracles and the breakthrough of what happens in people's lives. And so thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you, Lord, that you are, uh, you are reinvigorating somebody's heart of disappointment where they just wanted to give up. They stopped being persistent and they stopped being expected. And Lord, right now they're coming back for a seventh, the eighth, the ninth, some of them a hundred times. They're coming back and looking, Lord. And you're a God that brings dead things back to life. We're not going to bury anything in our life, Lord. You're the God of the resurrection. So Lord, thank you for what you're doing right now. Lord, as your, your heads are, are bowed and your eyes are still closed, some of you, uh, in your disappointment, you, you, you have a, a disdain uh, for God. Because you, you've assumed that there's, there's not a God that loves you. I can't trust him with my life because he's let me down so many times. And you come in here with bitterness and a hardened heart. And I get it. And I can tell you what, that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. He wants you to be angry. He wants you to be bitter. He wants your heart to be hard. He wants you to have very little expectation for your life. He wants you to feel like a mistake. He wants you to be a victim. He doesn't want you to look, walk in freedom and hope. He wants you to carry the, the baggage of that, that weight of that bitterness around with you. He wants it to affect every moment of every day that you have. And some of you are there. It's the reason that you're, that you're struggling with addiction. It's the reason that you're struggling with, with, with life, that you can't stay in a relationship, that you have a hard time being married, that you have a hard time being a father or a mother to your kids, that you, you want to be better, but you can't. It's bitterness. The Bible says that bitterness grows a deep root in you, and it affects and destroys many. Some of you are there right now, and your heart is hardened almost to the point. But there's a shift that's happening right now. And I can't even put it into words. But you've been sitting here listening to this message. You thought you'd never be in church. You've heard the Bible before. Maybe you went to Catholic school or something like that, and you've heard the Bible. But you've never understood it. And your eyes, they felt blind, and your mind felt closed off. But in this moment... Over the last hour, the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to you in a real way. And what's happened is it almost feels like nobody else is in this room right now. Like it's just you and God. And that's exactly where he wants you to be. He's glad that you're here. He set this moment up in history to accomplish something significant through your life. He loves you more than you can imagine and you can trust him. We talked a lot about anxiety in the end. The end of anxiety is trusting God. Some of you say, how do, I, how do I know I can trust God with my life? Listen, uh, Scripture says, while you were still a sinner, and that's who you are, that's who I am, that God sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins. And while you were still a sinner, that the wages of your sin, the debt of your sin was going to be death and hell, uh, but through Jesus, the gift of God is eternal life, forgiveness of sins. So what did Jesus do? He came and he, he physically died on a cross for you and me. He sacrificed his life for our life so that we don't have to die and end the way that we are right now. The Bible says when he fully died on that cross, they took his lifeless body and they put him in a tomb and they rolled the stone over and they tried to end the story of Jesus. But the Bible says on the third day, they rolled that stone, that stone was rolled away. Jesus walked out victorious. The same men and women who had abandoned him now died for him as the years came. 
They spread the message of Jesus Christ all over the place. That message has outlasted every empire since then. It's a message built on Jesus, his love, his hope, and his forgiveness. And here's the thing about it, friend. He doesn't save good people. He saves humble people. Humble people. So you're here right now, and you're in the presence of God. And he's been doing the work. And he has done everything in his power to save you. And you humbly receive him. The Bible says you accept him as your Lord and your Savior. You confess that you're a sinner, and you believe that he did everything that I just said he did. And in that moment, a profound, life-changing thing happens. The weight of your sin advantages. The pain of your past begins to be whole. The hopelessness for your future, all of a sudden you begin to have hope. You begin to have the purpose for your life. And it starts in this moment where you make Jesus the Lord of your life. He loves you more than you can imagine. And he's here right now. And he has spoken clearly, I hope, through his word. He has moved through the worship. And he's here right now. And everything we've done, we've done for this moment. For this moment. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close. And I believe there's people at every one of our campuses. We're standing together. There's somebody standing in the front of every campus just like I am. They're going to let me know if you respond to Jesus. The way we respond to Jesus, I'm not going to make you come forward and I'm not going to call you out. But I want to know that Jesus is working in your life. And I want to pray as we close. I want to celebrate with you. So what we do in, in a very real step of faith, uh, because your faith is, is a private decision, but it's a public matter. That Jesus does something in you because he wants to work something through you in public. He wants to do something in this world. He wants to use you to change other people. So I think because it's a public decision, a public faith, that I think the very first thing you should do with every head bowed and every eye closed as, as God is dealing with you is when I ask you if that's you, just in a very public way, say, yes, that's me. Shoot your hand straight up in the air. And when you do that, we're going to pray together. And I'm going to believe that this day is going to change you forever. This prayer is going to change nothing significant about what I'm going to say, but the power and the presence of God is here. Addictions are going to be broken. Marriages are going to be healed. The peace that surpasses all understanding is going to come into your life. You're going to experience a joy, an unspeakable joy in this moment. You just need to say yes to Jesus Christ. So if you're here right now at all of our campuses, we're about to pray, we're about to leave, but I don't want you to go back to normal life. I want everything to change for you in this moment. If that's you, you need to receive Jesus Christ. Would you just begin to shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, hey, pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see a hand right there. Yes, another hand. Yes, yes, yes. We're just going to wait a couple more moments. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. That's why I'm here. God's doing the work in my life. I missed that first one. Uh, but I still need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, church, let's clap for somebody in Plymouth meeting. Hey, we're just going to wait a few more moments. We're going to wait a few more moments. Maybe you've never been to church before, and you're like, why are they clapping for me? This is, this is weird. The reason we're clapping is because the Bible says all of heaven stops to rejoice when one person comes home to Jesus Christ. And so we're just trying to show you how God feels about you. There's somebody else in Montgomeryville. Come on, let's clap for them. Let's begin to pray all over our houses. Jesus, we love you. As people continuing to respond in Limerick, Jesus, we love you. And we're grateful for what you're doing. We're grateful that every hand represents a person. Every person represents a story. And every story is important to God. But there's something life-changing happening right now. In this simple prayer, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of everything that I am. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and setting me free. Lord, thank you for the promise of eternity, that you're not saving me uh, because I'm a good person, but you're saving me because you're a good God. 
You're a grace-filled God. Thank you for adopting me, for choosing me as your son and your daughter. And Lord, thank you for all that is going to happen from this, Lord. This is the, the, the first moment, the first decision in the rest of their life. Thank you for the purpose and plan you have for them. Thank you, Lord, that you put them on this earth for such a time as this to accomplish something historical through their life. Lord, tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be the best day of their life because it's going to be the first day they've woken up with purpose and meaning and hope. Lord, they are not a product of their past. They are not a prisoner of what they've done. Lord, they are free in Jesus' name. For the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Lord, we leave this place. We leave this place ready to go ready to impact and change this world, ready to go to our workplace, our family, our friends. Everywhere we go, we want to be the change that this world needs. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to live for you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name that we pray. Hey, church, one more time. Would you shout amen with me? Come on, let's clap together.